up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15 this morning. And if, if I can, this has nothing to do with the message, uh, just encourage you. We, we have some guys that serve back there uh, at our sound team and video team, and uh, Braden, Tyler, and, and Ethan are back there. These, these guys, the way our it works for setup is we have a month on, two months off, and a lot of times these these guys are typically here a lot serving for other guys who who miss. But but just great guys um, along with our setup crew that that just are faithfully working hard to set things up, um, thinking about all of you serving. Um, they're also a lot of fun, and so part of that is one honor these guys they they do it with excellence, but they're also just a lot of fun and. They have this banter every time I go to get this mic on, and they just they wanted to encourage me to uh, talk about the Lions this morning, but I decided not to, and I'm not going to. But uh, that's who we're rooting for, being from Michigan. Um, so if you want, you know, just turn them on. They start at 6, I think. It'll be even better, though. If they make it to the Super Bowl, I don't know what I'm going to do, okay? It's been a long time. It's been actually never in my life, so we'll see. Yeah. Anyways, we do have uh, more important things to talk about. For as much as I do love sports, it's really just a lot of joking around. Th- this stuff right here and what we were talking about and memorizing God's word and, and finding wisdom and just delighting in God through his word is um, it's so important. And it's so good for our souls. And so today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 8, 1 through 15 this morning. And so let me read it and then we'll pray. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then... I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, 
neither will he prolong the days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, and there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And though we, as we read earlier, that your word just accomplishes so many great things. And though we ask that it would accomplish those great things in and through us today. Lord, that you would revive souls. You would rejoice hearts. You would make wise the simple. You would lift our eyes from this world that we can see so that we might walk by faith and not by sight and catch a glimpse of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that we might fear you, God. That we might walk out of here with a greater passion, a greater passion to glorify your name, a greater passion to live our lives for you and for your glory, and that we would walk out of here with great joy. Lord, that we wouldn't be so troubled by the things of this world that that we're unable to count it a joy, as your word calls us to count all things a joy. And so, Lord, we know that, that for us to do this, we need you. We desperately need your spirit to do its work in our lives. And so would you do it, Lord? Would you would you anoint us? to hear all that we need to hear from your word today. That we might have this expectation to be met by you through your word being proclaimed. And so speak, Lord, and give us ears to hear that we might glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I feel like last week, you know, we we did Sanctity of Life Sunday and I had to get up here and introduce Ricardo and I made a comment just like I'm, I'm not very political person and uh, you've heard me say that before and then and then we turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and as I'm reading it and I'm, and I'm preparing for it and studying it I just just realize that that the Lord in, in his kindness has sort of this sense of humor that serves because uh, this section in in many ways sort of gets a little political for us. Um, I've titled this message, Wisdom to Live Under Authority, and, um, and that really has to do, and you're going to see in what I just read, that he's talking about kings, he's talking about rulers, and, and how God's people live under their rule or under their authority, and so for us it has some political imp- implications, and so I, I'm not a political person, I dabble a little in it, and, and I grow frustrated the more and more I dabble in it and try to understand what in the world is really going on. Um, And so that's where I end up typically. And one of the reasons I end up frustrated is probably um, a lot like you. It's so hard, at least in my mind, difficult to actually know what's true, um, to actually find clarity on specific matters, because it seems like there's just a lot of talking heads at different times, and, and they say different things, including when you find them in a debate where you might have one guy from one side speaking about something, another guy from another side speaking about something, and they're calling each other liars, and 
and somebody's lying, and then they get fact-checked and all that kind of stuff, and, and it's, it's just maddening to me. It's discouraging a little bit, um, but just maddening and just trying to figure out where in the world is the truth. And if you hear some of my private conversations, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking, can somebody please just be very clear and tell the truth in such a way that everybody hears it, and we're just, we're just going to stand on the truth. And, and there's a reason behind it. And so as, as a dad raising kids, and now they're all older, one of the things I would always teach them growing up, and this is something somebody taught me, is I really need to know the truth. And I know the temptation for kids and for people in general is to lie. But as I was trying to raise my kids and continue to try to raise my kids, and really this falls into a lot of context, counseling situations, all that kind of stuff, what I would tell my kids is I need the truth. As your dad, if I'm going to help you, be able to help you, you, you have to tell me the truth. I, I can't work with lies. And, and you know why? Because the truth actually gives us a real reality. We can actually give counsel, better counsel, when we work with the truth. We can make good decisions when we actually know what we're actually working with. But if you lie, then I'm going to give counsel that doesn't really fit your life. That's really not going to be much help to you because it's sort of going towards this make-believe world that you've kind of created. Does that make sense? You guys all understand that, right? We work with truth. It's very difficult to work with lies. Pastorally and parenting, I've gotten in trouble giving counsel to situations that were just sort of lies. Like, because you, you say one thing and you direct them this one way, and that one way doesn't exist. So it's, it's really hard to work with half-truths. It's really hard to work with just lies in general. And so we'd all agree truth matters. And from my personal experience, finding the truth in our political world is very hard to find. And again, remember, I, I'm, not, I'm not the end all when it comes to politics. I'm just, I'm just around it. I talk to people. I ask questions. And I'll say, hey, this is what I heard. And then I'll go find somebody. Did you hear this? And where did you hear this at? And do you believe this? And is that true? And, and it, not a lot is true. Or there is truth, but it's sort of hidden away somewhere. And it sort of pops up once in a while. So anyways, Douglas O'Donnell wrote this about Winston Churchill. He said, what Winston Churchill said of Russia in 1939, we might say of American politics today. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. What are we to make of gay marriage, legalized marijuana, and are taxes going to support abortion? How are we to deal with politicians who end their speeches with God bless America, but promote policies that clearly do not have God's blessing? How are we to work our way through the current political maze? How do we as Christians, men and women who are seeking to follow Jesus, seeking to pick up a cross and obey God as we live out our lives for the glory of God in our fallen sort of political world, and you can even remove political there, and you can just say, how do we do that in this fallen world that we live in that seems to be a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma? How do we live out our lives as lovers of the truth in a world that thinks there is no such thing as absolute truth? That's kind of the world we live in, right? 
And, and that, that's one thing. I'm reading this book right now. It's very interesting. Where, where does this one thought come from? And they trace it back to this speech given, I think it was after World War II, and I don't know all the details because this book's sort of heady and I'm trying to work through it. But the thing I found that was fascinating is, is this guy highlights these five things that, that, that really have informed our culture to what we see today working itself out in our universities and as well as politically, at least on one side or the other, as it's sort of been worked out. And, and it's this one at the very top, and it's you get rid of this fact that there is actually absolute truth. And I say fact because this is what we have. We have God who has spoken to us through his word that defines everything. It's what, it's what we think about. It's, it's what rolls around in our head, and it informs everything we do, right? Or at least it should. We believe it. It doesn't happen all the time for us, but, but, but that's what we believe. That's what we sign up for. That's what our statement of faith says, and we try to live by. And so we say that, but the reality is we live in a world, and you could say a political world as well, they don't believe that. They just believe that there's these lots of little truths that are really just sort of determined by your circumstances and, and whatever you think about your life at that moment. So it could be true for you, but it's not true for them. And those things are clashing all the time. That's part of the madness I feel as I watch things unfold politically at times is, is I think somebody's lying, but in reality, in their mind, they think they're really telling the truth because that's their truth. And, and that's probably wrong in many ways as well, but that, that's just how my mind works. And so, so it's maddening in some ways, but the reality is truth matters. And so how do we live in this world where we believe in truth? We believe in an absolute truth, but the world around us doesn't. How do we, how do we follow Jesus in a world that, that really just rejects him and his ways, especially when his ways confront the world in their ways, and their own sin. And so Solomon's kind of going to help us. He's going he's to shed some light on this question. He's going to answer it for us from our text. And I think what we're going to learn is this. The simple takeaway is this. Well, how do we do this? And I'd say what Solomon's going to help us see is you need wisdom. You need wisdom. You need God to give us wisdom. The answer is wisdom. We need God to show us. How do we live out our lives in this fallen world? We've been singing about it. He's sovereign over it all. He hasn't stepped away to sort of let madness just happen. He's at work in all things. We sang about it, and we can find it in his word. And so we believe it. Therefore, we must trust him for the wisdom that we need to sort of navigate this life that he's called us to live. And so we're going to take a look at three points this morning in regards to the wisdom that I think Solomon highlights for us as we encounter the culture around us. In our first point, we learn this. It is wise to submit to authority. It is wise to submit to authority. In verse 1, Solomon writes, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. And so, as Solomon has been looking around, and all you got to do is look up to chapter 7, you'll see this. He's been looking around for someone who's wise. And I think he said something in the lines of, out of a thousand men, I found one. Out of a thousand women, I found none. And he's just looking at his circumstances around him. 
But what he says here is, is, is he did find some wise people, and, and they kind of look like something. There's a difference between a wise person and a foolish person. You can see it on their face is what, what he's highlighting for us. A, a wise man's face shines, where a foolish man's face is, is hardened by his foolishness. A wise man seems to have a joyful countenance, while a foolish man seems to always carry with him some sort of frustration or a cynical disposition at what he looks at. And I think this is true. That's what I love about Ecclesiastes. It's like, all you got to do is, this is what Solomon sees, and all you got to do is lift your eyes and say, okay, do I see that? Is, is that really true about the life that I live? And a lot of commentators would say, this is a great book to hand to an atheist. Because a lot of his observations, wise observations, and they're God-given observations that he's written down for us, they're just true, and we believe it. And so I think it's really easy to see this. You, you know, sort of a wise, faithful follower of Jesus, just kind of at times by looking at them. You know what I'm talking about? Compared to a foolish person who's not really acknowledging God, rejecting them, and kind of doing their own things. A, a wise person, there, there's something about them that's different. It's, it's what happens. I've, I've had conversations with many of you. We talk about interactions you've had at the store, at a conference, or away, or doing stuff, and you're just like, I just knew this person was a Christian. And I had to ask them, well, how'd you know? There was just, there, there's just a joy about them. There was something refreshing about seeing. That's all Solomon is saying. He's just saying a, a wise person, their face shines. They're not hardened by the foolishness of this world. There, there's just something different about a person who has encountered God through his grace, whose heart has been transformed, has been bent towards now following God, seeking God, seeking to glorify him in all things, because, because they think about life in a different way. When we're talking about a wise person and a foolish person, a wise person fears God. A wise person looks to God by faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's sort of wisdom in a nutshell. A foolish person is just somebody who rejects God and rejects his ways. There's, there's, just, there's just no real thought of him, and if there is a thought of him, they actually just hate him. And what Solomon's saying is you can tell the difference. Somebody who's genuinely been transformed by this good news, who's pursuing wisdom, who's encountered God through this, their, their face shines. It's not hardened by the things of this world. And so we can see it. We, we kind of understand it. In Psalm 34, verse 4, the psalmist wrote this. He said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Again, this is just the psalmist just saying, listen, those who are wise, those who have been transformed by the good news, they just look different. There's something different about it, and we know that it is different. If you just look at Ephesians chapter 2, the difference is once you were dead, but by the grace of God, you've been made alive. And so dead people look like something. Phil taught about this a few weeks ago. And people who are alive in Christ, they look like something. They don't look the same. Well, one's face is shining. One person is radiant, while the other one is just, they're dead. There's a hardness to them. There's, a, there's something different about them. Jesus changes us from the inside out 
by redeeming us and making us alive together with him. And he gives us wisdom. And this wisdom brings joy to our lives. Now, this joy does, is not always there, present, every day of our lives. I mean, there's a, there's a fight for joy. There's a reason that we read in James, we're, we're called to count all things a joy. And so, to me, when I'm thinking about that, when I hear count it all joy, I hear work. In the sense of, like, some of it's a gift. There's just this redemption. And then there's this trusting God to be at work in us. And then we count these things a joy. We fight for joy as we trust the Lord. Philip Ryken, in his commentary, goes on and he says, Biblical wisdom brings personal transformation. It makes a difference in our witness, showing people the joy of knowing Christ. It also makes a difference in our relationships. Instead of going around grumpy all the time, wise people have an inner joy that radiates out to other people. So have you ever seen this in somebody else? And if you haven't, what I'd say is just look around this room. This should encourage you. I wish you all could just sort of stand up here and look at Some of you look a little grumpy this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that's because you didn't sleep well or you're tired and you're cold or whatever it is happened and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, as you're leaving today, what I'd say is you can experience this today because all you got to do is go look in one of your brother's or sister's eyes, shake their hand and say, it's so good to see you. And pay attention to what happens. I love this church. And one of the things I love about this church, I love my drive home. And I drive home alone. I try to drive home alone because there's a lot of things I do. But one of the things I do is, is I think about all of you. I call people who I don't see. And then I just thank the Lord for the people I do get to see. The smiles, the handshakes, the people I get to talk to. These three guys back there bring me so much joy. And it's because they're wise. They're trusting in the Lord. It's refreshing. They're not grumpy. They're fun. And I would say that's the grace of God at work in them. And I'd say you can experience that too. Just look around this room and you are evidence of what Solomon is teaching us here. The other thing to think about is what does your countenance say about your faith? Do you bring joy to people? Just by the very fact that God has radically changed your life. Are you trusting in the good news? Is it informing the way you interact with others? See, wise people are typically the happiest people in the room. And the good news is that God invites us here to ask him for wisdom. In James chapter 1, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without without reproach. And it will be given him. And that's our God. He saves us. He gives us wisdom. And then when we lack wisdom, he says, ask for it. And then in his word, he says he gives it generously. And we need it. We desperately need it because we live in a fallen world. And if we're going to live in this fallen world with fallen people and fallen political leaders who have authority over our lives, we need to be asking God for wisdom. Lord, help us to be wise. As we vote, help us to be wise as we live in this land that he's given us with so much freedom. And the wisdom we see here in these next few verses is that it's wise for us to submit to authority. Verse two, he says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand 
in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? So whether the the king or the president or whoever it is is in authority over us, whether they're good or evil, whether you like their policies or not, wisdom here teaches us that we're called to submit to the king's authority, so to speak, as opposed to complaining about him or starting a rebellion against him. Now, this doesn't mean that we're called to embrace sinful things that they're asking us to do. That's not what he's saying here. He's just, he's just sort of looking out and he's just saying, this, is, this would be wise. When you have a ruler like a king or a president like so-and-so or, or a local governing authority like this, he, he's just saying, it, it's wise to submit to authority. It's wise to recognize that people have a position of authority over us, and, and it's actually a good thing for us to seek to obey as much as we possibly can. And again, it's, he's not saying don't, don't follow them into sin. Don't, don't embrace evil altogether in that way. But, but wisdom in general would say, is, in a sense, you don't really want to be rocking the boat too much over things that you shouldn't be rocking the boat over. And again, this, this would be wisdom. And Solomon tells us that our submission to authority, it's based upon God's oath to him, the one who's in charge. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this. This is kind of like the, the, the theological stuff that help, helps inform why we do this. It says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So faith in a good and sovereign God recognizes that God is the one who's always ultimately in control. This world may be a fallen world with fallen people, but, but it's never outside of God's good and sovereign will for this world and his people, which include us. John Calvin wrote the following. He said, we must trust that the world isn't aimlessly world about but that the creator of all also sustains, nourishes, and cares for everything he has made, even the last sparrow. Everything is directed by the secret stirring of God's hand. So what I'd say here is this means that God knows who our current president is, and God knows who our next president will be. God knows who is in charge, and he will always know who's in charge because he's always at work. It means that his hand was secretly stirring and guiding every policy that has ever been written and struck down throughout the history of our nation. He's either in control or he's not. He's either a really good, loving God. We sang about it, how vast the love of God. Do we really believe that to be true about him? Is he the almighty God or is he not? He is. He's always at work. He's always in charge. Now, there's some mystery there. I'm, I'm simplifying a, a number of things here, but, but, but it's true. We bump into some mystery here, but Solomon doesn't really get into that. But what he wants us to see here is that, is that we have people over us. We, we have a president right now. Whether you like him or not, he's your president. You're going to get a new president, or you might not get a new president here coming up. We'll find out this year whether you like him or not. What Solomon's trying to say is, is wise people would submit to those in authority over them. 
And there's wisdom in that as well. So don't hear me saying just as wholehearted, dumb, and blind, just like, we're going to do whatever. No, that's not what he's saying here. But what he's trying to help us see is that is above our president or above your local authority and those leaders who are making decisions that you may or may not like is a great God that we just sang about. And he's not just great here when we gather in this context. He's great when you leave. And he's going to be great when you vote on who your new president will be soon. And all those things. And he's, 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 he's sovereign over everything. He's always at work in, in all these things. And he calls for us to trust him. And that trust looks like obeying those in authority over us. Joyfully. So wise people who love Jesus and are seeking to follow Jesus will look to serve those over them as if they were ultimately serving the Lord. Again, this does not mean that we follow people into sin. We don't support abortion because our local authorities tell us it's okay. We fight for life. Because God tells us that all of life is valuable and worth fighting for. Jesus is Lord over all. Our allegiance is ultimately to him. And this allegiance means that we are to be a joy. We are to be a joy and serve as unto the Lord those who are in authority over us. Jesus would say it like this. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's and we give to the Lord what is his. Whatever government, whatever president God gives us, we are called to respect and submit to as best as we can for the glory of God. We also learn that it's wise to submit to authority because it protects us from harm. Verse 5 says, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what he is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Generally speaking, it's best to keep the laws of the land. It's kind of what, it, what he's saying here. Speed limits have a purpose. And if you don't believe me, just, just break it. And just do it as long as you can and find out what happens to your bank account. Or what happens to your driver's license. Like generally speaking, he's just saying, listen, if, if you just sort of go with the flow and, and, and you obey these, these laws that, and you recognize God is at work in all these things, whether you like them or not, it's the boundary lines that God has set for us because this is the country that he has caused us to be born into. And so we recognize God above this. He's just basically saying, generally speaking, it's, it's best to sort of just obey the laws of the land. It, it's beneficial to you. He's, he's helping us sort of have the big picture in view here. Paul, writing to Timothy, encouraged him in this way, to to pray for and to give thanks for all people. And all those people included leaders. Leaders. People in authority over them. He encouraged them to to pray for them. To to not slander them, but to pray for them. To, To look for ways to encourage them. Not, not to necessarily start a revolution over small matters, but, but to pray for them, that they might experience freedom and peace. Because we have something bigger at stake than what we get to experience with this freedom that we have in the United States. And what's bigger is we've been called to the kingdom of God to be his witnesses, to be unashamed of the gospel, to be able to live the gospel out and take this good news to the world around us. And for the most part, we have the freedom to do that. And evidence by that is we get to gather in this context. 
So we trust the Lord. Solomon goes on and he tells us that we can also submit to authority. This is kind of like the trump card, just so you know. This is like the, this is the, like, like if you don't like the message so far, you've got to submit to everybody. Even if they're just really wicked and evil and generally speaking, you've got to do this. Well, this next part's pretty good. He says, Solomon tells us that we can submit to authority, even bad rulers, because eventually everyone dies. It's true, isn't it? No one rules forever. He says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So they might have a wicked ruler and a wicked leader, and guess what? That wickedness that he's given to, it will never deliver him. He might think it's going in this direction and it's going to build this. And what Solomon says, guess what? Not true. Their wickedness will never deliver them. All this I've observed while plying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. And he's just saying, I've seen wicked rulers. I've seen them go in and out of the holy place. I've seen them be celebrated. Guess what? I've also seen them be buried. They just don't last forever. This is such good news here. Because at times we can think wickedness wins. That's my biggest frustration when I think about, not my biggest, I have a lot of them, but one of the things is, is, is that just like how long do the lies just get to get, get said? Like d- why doesn't anybody just say, no, this is the truth, and where do you even find that at? And what Solomon is just saying, no, no, it looks like they win. It does. It really does look like they win, but they don't. They all get buried. And they're all going to have to stand in front of Jesus and give account for every single policy they've ever written, good or bad. Every decision they've ever made, every word they've ever spoken, being brought out into the light. Because none of them rule forever. But you know who does? God does. We have a Savior in Jesus Christ who's sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things. He rules forever. Not your president. Not a king. No earthly ruler rules forever. The second point we learn this, it's wise to fear God. It can be tempting to forget God at times. As we live out our lives in a broken world. As political campaigns ramp up. We hear a lot of people talking, again, claiming certain things to be true, at times talking out of both sides of their mouths, only to be fact-checked, and then for the fact-checkers to be checked, and, and for those to be, again, it's just, it's just a lack of clarity. And without the clarity of real truth and leaders who are committed to speaking the truth, there's chaos and confusion. And I think that's what we experience. We, we have a lot of chaos and confusion. And then as you think about things, Ricardo spoke about this last Sunday, but, but as you think about Roe versus Wade and, and you think about this thing being set in place and then being set in place for 50 years and then finally overturned. And to me, when I think about it, I don't have the experience Ricardo does. When I think about it, that's a long time, isn't it? 50 years. And then to have it overturned, which is a great thing. We celebrate that which then allows for the states to then make decisions on this. And then as you research and you study it, some states said, great, 
we're going to make it really hard to have abortions. We're going to outlaw abortions. Then some states went the other way, and they said, we're going to open it up. And so it's a win in some ways, but as we talked to Ricardo, there's a lot of fight left in this. So again, you can, you can get confusion out of this, and you can just be thinking, and this is where my mind goes, is, Lord, what are you doing? Because God has the power. When we say 50 years, and we just talked about point one, God being at work in all things, and, and somehow that fits into there. And the temptation would be like, when things aren't going our own way or they're not happening at the speed we want them to do, is just forget God, right? Like, if God's not going to show up after one year, but he's going to wait for 50 years, what's the point? Well, that's where we go back to God's word, and we just think, okay, Lord, what, what are you saying? How do we work through this? And he says this, verse 11, because the sentence against evil deeds is not executed speedily. The heart of children of man is fully set to do evil. And so he's just saying there's this temptation to think we can do evil, the world can do evil, and just because it's not being just judged immediately that it just sort of supports that. And so he sees it, and he's just saying, okay, you see it, and and the temptation is for the world to think, well, I can just keep doing evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those, listen to this, who fear God. Because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. See, evil people do evil things in some way because they think they can get away with it. But again, what Solomon is saying, they're not. They're not. God is at work, and so I'm not God. And so he, he has a good plan for his creation, and he's exercising that plan according to his will. And it's magnifying his name. And some of there is mystery there. We bump into it. But, but what Solomon is saying is this. It's wise at the end of the day to not forget him, but instead to fear him. To think about him and who he is as we live out our lives in his world for his glory, even when things don't go according to the way we think it should. So the fear of God is living in this sense of awe and, and respect for him, always turning to him and never turning away from him. And Solomon just says, it's wise to fear God. How do we live out our lives in a fallen world? We don't look to this world for comfort and joy. We look to God and we fear him. Philip Ryken says the following. He says, to live a God-fearing life is to live in constant awareness of the presence of God who is even closer than, than a part away. So there's only two types of people in this world. Those who fear God and those who don't. May we, by the grace of God, be numbered among those who fear him. That's part of this scripture memorization. It's just, it's just a little reminder. My life is not my own. I do not live my life according to the flesh. I live my life by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just, just a little reminder. When we step out these doors, it's not our life. We live by faith. Then our third and final point, we learn this. It is wise to be joyful in all things. Verse 14 says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, 
And there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And so he's just saying again, he's making that observation. I I see really good people getting what really bad people deserve. And I see really bad people getting what I think really good people deserve. And that's just the world we live in. Under the sun. And he comes to this conclusion. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Who's given us this life that we're living? Yeah, That's what Solomon is trying to, to point out here. Listen, the life you're living is not something you've created. The life you're living in the place you're living at with all that you currently have has been given to us by God, to live out for his glory. And what I love about this section, again, it's, it's so that we might, we might honor him, bring glory to him, but we also might enjoy it. As we talk a little political stuff here, and again, I'm not getting into the details, but one of the many things we learned in 2020, and there was a lot, is that life is not guaranteed. We might think tomorrow is going to be the same as yesterday, but if you could go back to March 17th, 2020, And you would remember that you were probably living life thinking, great, I'm going to get up and go to school the next day. I think we had a baseball game the next day planned. And you know what you had planned. And it stopped. And so we just learned. We learned it can be stopped. Our government can shut us down at any point if it wants to. Life is not guaranteed to be the same the next day. We, We also learned that we're also not guaranteed to take another breath today. We, we learned that there, there's a virus that could take your life. And not just a virus, anything could, a car accident, anything, all that kind of stuff. We just learned that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We also learned that the political climate in our nation can easily make its way into our church and creates all sorts of conflict among us based upon who you voted for or who you didn't vote for. Every church was affected by this. Ours included. And all you got to do, is, and maybe you deleted all this stuff, but I'm sure it pops up in your time hops or whatever it is. Just check out what you posted or somebody else posted in 2020 or 2021 and debates going on. And, and it stayed out there for a little bit. And then it works its way in here and it begins to create conflict and division amongst the church. And so, so we learned that, that there's some things needed at times. There's a need for wisdom. How do we navigate a, a very confusing and chaotic political world we live in and yet remain united around the gospel? So all, all those things, but, but what we also learned is we learned that God is at work in all this. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. I think Solomon's been letting us in on this secret here is that, is that we live in a fallen world. And that this stuff doesn't really ever fully go away. You, you never ultimately are going to get what you want. Your president might get elected. He might not. It, it just might happen. It might not. You're not even guaranteed any of that stuff. You, you might get some things, but you're also not going to get everything you want in this life. We live in a world that's governed by evil people. You're going to be lied to. You're going to be taken advantage of. That's just the world we live in. Unfortunately, this, this isn't heaven. Those are reminders. 
we are not home yet. So, so what do we do? And Solomon would say this, find joy. This is what I love about Ecclesiastes. This is what I so much pray for, for us as a church and for my own life, is, is I recognize this is the world we live in. And I know you do too. But I want to be happy, right? And I, I know you want to be happy as well. I know you guys want to find joy because it says, count it all joy. And Solomon here is, is instructing us here as well. Listen, you live in a fallen world. You're going to have bad rulers at times who make bad policies. And you're not going to like maybe who gets elected here coming up. But he says this, a wise person is going gonna, is gonna to find joy in the life that God has given to you under the sun. In, in whatever you eat, whatever you drink. And he's just sort of paraphrasing there and just, just saying, in all of life, find joy in what God has given to you. And what I would say for us is this, fight for it. Fight for it. If you find yourself all of a sudden just frustrated and hardened by the stuff you see on the news or you're reading the news, I'd just say, stop reading it. If it's robbing you of joy, and this is what I have to do, like it, it's, it's a fight. I'll just be like, this is silly sometimes. But, but if it's robbing you of joy, why would you want to live like that? You want to be informed. I'd say find a better way to be informed, that it doesn't rob you of joy or find something. Because in some ways, Solomon is just saying a wise person is a happy person. A wise person is grateful for what God has given to us. See, this world may be crooked, but God is not. Let us not let this world steal our joy. May we be the happiest people on earth as we look to Jesus and find joy in all the blessings that he has given to us. Let us find joy in our next breath. Just take a breath and just thank the Lord for it. Because there's people not here today. But in God's kindness, he's allowed for us to be here. Let us find joy in all the things that he does give us. Let us find joy in the friendships. Think about this. There are many people who are alone, and we're not. There are churches that don't exist today because of 2020, and we do. And it's because of God's grace and his grace alone. And that's a lot to be happy for. And so let us be people who find great joy in God and God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would bless us, Lord, with great wisdom, because we need it. Lord, especially as we think about just our political climate and all that's coming our way and all that we experienced in 2020 and whatever may happen, may happen, but we trust that you're at work in all these things. And Lord, we pray that you would protect us as a church that we'd be united around the gospel and not around a political party. But we'd be united around what matters most, what does protect us, what does guide us, what, what does unite us, what does bring us ultimately home to heaven. And may we rejoice in those things. And may you be glorified in the way in which we encounter these things. And Lord, would you give us wisdom to do things like Ricardo's doing, fighting for life in Georgia right to life. Lord, fighting for the things that, that you want us to fight for in a way that matters. In a way that brings clarity of purpose and not confusion and chaos. In a way that, 
brings sort of union. Lord, would you help us to take the gospel to dark places? For we know, Lord, as we read your word, the gospel is what changes lives. The gospel is what breaks down every wall that, that would seek to divide us. Lord, policies may be written that kind of help to move us in that direction, but, but ultimately what this world wants, they'll never find through one of their own policies. But instead they find it in the good news about Jesus. And you've given us this good news. And so we may, may we be people who tell this good news to one another, to our neighbors and the world around us. And Lord, may you save people through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.